You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, it's a uh, World Series edition of the show. Uh, but just because it's postseason doesn't mean that there's not a lot of really interesting news to cover. Uh, we've actually got some signings in the past week to break down. I uh, hope to turn in a clutch performance for you today. Uh, I'm going to talk about something I don't know that I've ever really dug into on the show. Maybe mentioned it in passing here or there, but I'm actually going to spend a good amount of time on the show today talking about clutch performances. It's not particularly fantasy relevant, but then again, if I'm going to do things on the show that aren't directly related to fantasy, the postseason is a pretty good time to do it. I mean, and not just because this is where clutch performances matter the most, but uh, also just because they're, you know, we do have some signings and some things to break down, but we got a long time before draft day. So uh, it's, it's a good time to dig into just some really cool baseball stuff. So uh, I'll be talking about uh, clutch hitting and Rafael Devers and whether or not uh, we can use those two things in the sentence, uh, same sentence together. I'll get up to all that and, and explain. Uh, but let's uh, first get to uh, some of the actual news from the past week. Uh, the, the Marlins probably making the biggest splash. No big surprise here, but they did go out and sign two big international free agents, including the number one ranked international free agent, Victor Victor Mesa, 22-year-old Cuban outfielder, signed for $5.25 million, and then also younger brother Victor Mesa Jr., just 17 years old, and uh, signed him for a uh, million dollars, or as I have it written in my one note in, in my notes, signed for one dollar. So fortunately, I remember to put the million uh, back in there. Uh, but uh, exciting moves for the for the Marlins, not necessarily game changers for them as a, a franchise. That obviously will be uh, will remain to be seen. Uh, but Brad Brad Johnson recently did a, a really neat piece uh, for Fangraphs uh, and more specifically Rotographs. Uh, about the signings, and uh, he talks about some of the uh, the scouting reports, but just based on on that piece and, and some other scouting reports that I've seen, uh, it, it does appear that Victor Victor Mesa's power skills are somewhat in question about how well those are going to translate, but uh, expected to be a at minimum a good solid uh, outfielder uh, offensively and. Uh, I think probably not going to start the year uh, with the Marlins, but uh, I would think that he's would be fairly close to major league ready. Uh, again, Victor Mesa jr. Just 17 years old. So he's uh, a long, long way off. And uh, a third uh, Cuban free agent that's really been mentioned in the same breath with the Mesa brothers uh, frequently is uh, Sandy Gaston. He's a, a right-handed pitcher, just 16 years old. And he initially, there were reports that he was going to join the Mesa brothers in Miami. Uh, but a more recent report from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times says that the Rays are working with Gaston uh, to sign him. And uh, there are some reports of an agreement for a $2.6 million deal, but nothing final yet. 
So that again from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. So it looks like Sandy Gaston maybe not going to the Marlins, but rather to the Rays instead. But again, 16-year-old righty, long, long way away uh, from any sort of major league action. Uh, As for established major leaguers, we have uh, some injury news, but also a uh, a signing, a re-signing. Eduardo Escobar not going to go out on the free agent market. He was re-signed by the Diamondbacks, who acquired him in mid-season this year. And uh, so he is going to remain uh, ostensibly with the Diamondbacks, or at least they uh, have him now on a three-year deal for just $21 million. I say just because I think that's a pretty, uh, you know, frank, frankly, for, for the Diamondbacks, uh, a, a pretty good deal for what given what Escobar has done the last couple of years. Uh, so this past season, Escobar had 272 with 23 homers and 48 doubles, which is a neat combination to see because as a twin, Escobar was was a really good doubles hitter. And then in 2017, broke out as a, a pretty good home run hitter as well. So this is back-to-back years with 20-plus homers for Escobar, uh, but also still coming through with the doubles. So 23 homers, 48 doubles, uh, 84 RBIs. 75 runs, so good run producer. So really good good production from Escobar, and both from a fantasy and a real-world perspective, Escobar's a nice player to have on your roster because he is versatile uh, going into 2019. He will qualify in pretty much any sort of format at both uh, third base and at shortstop. This past season, Escobar ranked 16th in roto value uh, among all third basemen. That's according to the ESPN Player Raider. And 17th among shortstops. By the way, that also, I think, speaks volumes to how shortstop has changed. That uh, Escobar uh, actually ranks one spot lower in the shortstop rankings than at third base. Not to make too much of that, but uh, that's something that does stand out to me uh, a little bit. And also, uh, there was a report that uh, Escobar will be a uh, pretty much an everyday player for the Diamondbacks next year. That is the plan. He may be sort of a Marwin Gonzalez super utility type. It's not clear if he's going to, you know, maybe just stick at third base or, uh, you know, w- what's going to happen there. I mean, that, I think the super utility uh, role probably makes a lot more sense given at least currently, how the the Diamondbacks roster is constructed, I would think that you know Jake Lamb would still see time at third base. But uh, very interesting, interesting signing, and and definitely uh, you know with that reassurance that Escobar is going to get regular play next year, definitely somebody uh, that should be on your radar for drafts uh, next year. So I did mention a moment before that there are a couple of injury uh, updates, or at least health related updates. Uh, Jose Altuve who really kind of scuffled in the second half and in the postseason. Uh, And again, no, it's no uh, mystery or or secret that uh, Altuve was banged up, uh, had been dealing with an issue in his right knee. Uh, He injured it back in July and uh, played through it. Well, he had surgery on his right knee uh, at some point uh, after the Astros' uh, ouster from the postseason. And uh, in the second half, and I don't know exactly what the date was that Altuve sustained the injury, but second half is a pretty good, you know, a rough uh, cutoff point to look at uh, whether or not that may have impacted his performance. He had just 269 with four home runs after the All-Star break. 
and had a very Jose Altuve-like first half with uh, a 300-plus batting average and more power. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think it, it, you could always read this two different ways, at least, you know, with a, a player that uh, has surgery in the offseason. Are they going to be slow to get started? Uh, or, uh, you know, are they going to be at a discount uh, that that could really pay off big as you're looking at some depressed numbers from playing through an injury? Uh, but, uh, you know, I certainly think there's the potential there for Jose Altuve to, to offer a nice return to fantasy owners next year if people get a little too hung up on the 2018 stats and particularly the second half stats for Jose Altuve. Joe Musgrove also uh, underwent surgery. He had surgery to repair the abdominal wall and to help uh, a pelvic stress reaction heal. Uh, that coming from a tweet from Rob uh, Beertumfell of The Athletic. And uh, according to the Pirates, they say that uh, the usual timetable for uh, recovery from that uh, type of surgery is about six weeks. And also uh, Pirates say that they expect that Musgrove is going to be uh, close to a regular schedule for spring training. So a little bit different from Altuve, where the report on him was just, yeah, he's going to be ready. He's going to be ready for spring training. Sounds like there's a little more concern here about Musgrove's readiness. So that'll be something to track during the uh, the offseason. Although I don't expect that Musgrove is going to be uh, you know, something that, that a lot of people are going to be targeting really uh, eagerly. Uh, not not a bad first season with the Pirates. And again, he only made uh, 19 starts, uh, Musgrove. So he had missed some time with injury uh, earlier in the season in 2018. But he finished 6-9, and nine, had a 4.06 ERA, a 1.18 whip. And I definitely want to put the focal point on the whip, and I'll come back to that, I promise. And just a 20.6% strikeout rate for Musgrove. So coming into this year, and I remember talking about Musgrove you know, probably February, March, you know, as we were approaching draft season and being really intrigued by him. And not only because he had dual starter reliever eligibility going into this season, but because as a reliever, he had been sensational. He struck out a lot more batters and you, you often see that going from the uh, starting role to a, a bullpen role where, you, you know, you may only are using a couple of pitches and, uh, you know, throwing with greater velocity and shorter spurts. So not a big surprise that Musgrove was uh, getting more strikeouts as a reliever than he did as a starter back in 2017 uh, with the Astros, but uh, also getting a lot more ground balls too. So just to kind of the, the hope that, well, maybe, maybe it's uh, not just a, a role change here for uh, Musgrove, but that now, you know, going back to uh, a starting role uh, with the, the Pirates, uh, you know, maybe he could carry over some of those skill improvements, and we didn't really see it. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, the uh, ground ball rate, I think, was 45%. I'm, I'm pulling that one from memory, so if I'm off, I'm off by maybe a percentage point. So a very average ground ball rate, nothing in the 50s, nothing to, to get excited about. A very pedestrian strikeout, maybe for fantasy purposes, one that's a little bit lower than you would like to see. But again, so we'll come back to the whip because the other stats, there's nothing there that's particularly surprising or, or anything that you, you should be distrustful of. Uh, again, as a, as a starter in the past with the Astros, not a great strikeout pitcher, so no huge surprise that he regressed there. Um, the ERA, you know, for, for somebody who's kind of an average strikeout pitcher, 
pretty ordinary ERA, 4.06. But that whip, 1.18, not a bad whip for uh, Joe Musgrove in his first season as a pirate. He led the major leagues among all... Now, he didn't pitch enough to qualify uh, to be a qualified starter. But if you lower the lower the bar to 100 innings pitched, no starting pitcher had a higher rate of pitches located in the strike zone than Musgrove did. No, no big news there either. Musgrove's always been a good strike thrower, always had really good control. Maybe not necessarily something that, that's helped him a lot uh, in the past. Uh, sometimes you could be too much in the zone. But here's a, a, a really neat co- a combination that I like. And I noticed this with uh, Miles Michaelis this year, that Michaelis threw a ton of strikes, but also got a lot of swings on bad pitches, a lot of swings on pitches outside of the strike zone. And so even though Michaelis was a worse strikeout pitcher than Joe Musgrove, uh, he was going deep into games. He was generating a lot of contact. It was not particularly harmful contact. And he was getting a lot of swings on bad pitches. And he was certainly not, you know, he was certainly helped by the fact that he was throwing a lot of strikes, being very efficient, uh, great for, for points leagues, uh, racking up innings, quality starts. So we noticed that with Miles Michaelis. But I think Joe Musgrove, maybe maybe next year, should be uh, an even stronger target for fantasy owners or a more attractive target, maybe is a better way to put that. Uh, I, I think the, the one negative in Musgrove's column is that maybe you'd have to worry a little bit more about him being injured than Michaelis or maybe just even the recovery, even if there's not a new injury, just the recovery from uh, the abdominal surgery is something that maybe would uh, enable him or, or uh, be, be a factor in him having a slow start. So, you know, maybe... Michaelis uh, would be the safer pick, but Musgrove does have a little bit more strikeout upside. And what Musgrove and Michaelis and James Paxton all have in common, three very different pitchers in terms of strikeout rate, with Musgrove sort of being the happy medium between the two. Actually, there's no happy medium with strikeout rate. Big is better, right? (laughs) But you get the point. Three different pitchers in terms of strikeout rate, but what they all have in common, they are the only three starting pitchers from last season, again, will use that minimum threshold of 100 innings pitched, only pitchers in that group that threw at least 48% of their pitches in the strike zone and got a swing rate of at least 35% on pitches that weren't in the strike zone. That's a fantastic combination. We loved it for Paxton. Of course, Paxton misses a lot of bats, so that's certainly the first thing you want to see with a fantasy pitcher or any pitcher. But, uh, you know, beyond that, if you're like Musgrove or Michaelis and you're not a great strikeout pitcher, that's a that's a great combination in that you're not going to be putting a lot of uh, runners on base via the walk. You're going to help your whip. That's why I'm coming back to the whip. Uh, and the, a lot of the contact that you are going to get is going to be of lesser quality because it's on it's on pitches that aren't in the zone. So. That's just, you know, to me, it was interesting that those three were the only pitchers that had that combination of elite control and an elite ability to get batters to swing at bad pitches. Just something to tuck away. Anyway, a couple of uh, manager hirings in the past few days. Uh, Brad Osmus is going to be, or is already, the new Angels manager. And David Bell got hired by the Reds to be their new manager. 
and way too early, obviously, to draw any sorts of conclusions. Uh, I think these are both teams, but the Reds maybe in particular, uh, that you know we'll see some big roster changes. Uh, I saw a report, I believe, on Tuesday that said that uh, the, the Reds were planning on spending quite a lot this offseason. So that would give David Bell, hopefully, uh, a better roster to work with. But uh, I do find the Osmus, uh, the Osmus hiring to be a potentially interesting one, just because when you think of extremes in terms of managers and how they they manage their bullpens, uh, I, I think of Mike Sosha, uh, and it's you know he's in a sense maybe was ahead of his time in that he was not uh, the last couple of years really committed to a closer. Roles in the bullpen under Sosha were were more fluid uh, for at least the last couple of seasons. And now they're going to bring in Brad Osmus. And when I think about his tenure with the Tigers, the very first thing I think of was his uh, attachment to K-Rod as the closer there long after he seemed viable as a closer. So maybe there's a contrast here in bullpen management styles. I don't know. Uh, it be interesting to see how that one plays out. But obviously that's just you know wild speculation on my part at this point. You know We have no uh, information in terms of what uh, relievers Osmus is going to have to uh, to use next year, and uh, you know maybe with a, a different group or with the passage of time, he's he'll have a different approach. We shall see. Okay, so uh, let's dig into the World Series a little bit here. Just game one alone. I mean, probably that this could just be a whole show just talking about game one. Really, really uh, interesting game. And um, you know, I mentioned before I want to talk about clutch performances. I'm going to get in, into that topic in regards to uh, Rafael Devers in a few minutes. But there also is a real neat piece, and I know I've already plugged uh, Brad Johnson's piece on Rotographs. On Fangraphs, uh, neat piece that came out today, today being Wednesday, if you're listening to this long after uh, this, this podcast is published. But really neat piece uh, uh, about Game 1 from Craig Edwards. And he writes about who was the uh, the player that made the biggest impact. Basically, who was the most clutch player? And um, it may surprise you, because certainly a lot of the focus uh, was on Eduardo Nunez and, and hitting that three-run homer that uh, really uh, broke the game open for the Red Sox. But Craig Edwards makes, makes an interesting argument that it might have been Ryan Brazier, uh, because there was a debate with uh, Manny Machado where basically... You know, anywhere from between a double play and a home run and everything in between, that uh, the the direction of that game was could change wildly with just with just one swing. So, really, really neat piece uh, that you should check out on uh, Fangraphs from uh, from Craig Edwards. But, um, anyways, enough about Ryan Brazier, uh, who I probably will talk about quite a bit at some point during the off season because I think he's. He's an intriguing uh, reliever based on his rookie season, and uh, I would think the Red Sox probably go out and either re-sign Craig Hibbrell or, or get an experienced closer. But if they don't, then Brazier really uh, becomes an interesting uh, reliever this offseason. But uh, we'll, we'll set that aside. I actually want to uh, put the focus on the starters from Game 1. Uh, neither starter gotten out in the fifth inning. Both began the fifth inning. Uh, and, of course, we're talking about Clayton Kershaw and Chris Sale, the Game 1 starters. And so they both uh, officially, their, their final lines were, were four innings, exactly. 
And the last time there was a World Series Game 1 where neither starter went beyond four official innings was 2004. And the starters in that game were Woody Williams for the Cardinals and Red Sox again with Tim Wakefield. So uh, this was this is a rarity. And of course, Game 1 typically is going to be a matchup of aces. So uh, neither ace really was very ace-like. In game one, uh, Kershaw, he went his four innings with uh, five runs on seven hits and three walks, five strikeouts. So there's the silver lining there, more than a strikeout per inning for Kershaw. Uh, for Chris Sale, uh, his four innings, three runs, five hits, two walks, seven strikeouts for Sale. But neither one uh, overall has been all that good this uh, this postseason. You know, Kershaw had had one great start. Um but uh, overall, not terrible, but not great. A 3.91 ERA this uh, postseason. He's thrown now 23 innings, has 21 strikeouts, and seven walks. So, you know, considering all of the narratives that are out there about how Kershaw doesn't pitch well in the postseason, that's not that's not bad. Um, but I am concerned about Kershaw. Um, as for Sale... And I'll explain why about Kershaw. I'm hopscotching around here a little bit, but I just want to close the loop on these postseason stats. For Sale now, he's got a, a higher ERA than Kershaw in the postseason, 4.40. Uh, but he does have 21 strikeouts in 14 and a third innings, so no concern there. But he also has eight walks, so that's been an issue. But let's go back to Kershaw now. Uh, so his velocity has been down all season long, but it went down about a tick sometime around mid-August. So last year, if you just look at the years as a whole, in 2017, Kershaw was averaging about 20, or, I'm sorry, 93 miles an hour on his fastball. Uh, this past season, 91 miles an hour. But again, that's dragged down a bit by the last quarter of the season. And in September, Kershaw had just a 9% swinging strike rate. 9%. I mean, that's not great for any starter. And, and for Kershaw, I mean, that's that's a big come down. Did have a 3.89 ERA, so it could have been worse, but that's not at all Kershaw-like. And he had 31 strikeouts in 37 innings in September. Not, not, a, not a great ratio at all. Not at all what you expect from Clayton Kershaw. So when you put that on top of a postseason where, yeah, he is getting more strikeouts, but the ERA is still just a little under four. Uh, and and the velocity continues to be down in the on average ninety to ninety one range. That's very concerning for me going into next year. So as far as Kershaw's performance in Game One uh, and in the postseason in general, you know one and, and several people made this point on on Twitter on Tuesday night during the game, but uh, it's one that I probably should say myself more often, uh, which is that you know this is the postseason. This is the height of the competition. So great players aren't necessarily going to be as great. Uh, so I think you got to give the opponent some, some. Uh, you have to give the opponent some credit here for for what's going on with Kershaw. But if you put it in the broader context of what was going on with him this season and what was going on with him in the last month to month and a half, it is a bit of a, a bit of a concern to me. Uh, and as for Chris Sale, uh, there's some things there that could be concerning, but. He uh, there's there's a clear sort of before and after here. He missed time with the shoulder inflammation and uh, in in August and September uh, came back and oddly enough the velocity was fine in the first start. But remember these starts were really short when he first came back. But in the first start 
sales velocity, there was nothing that looked particularly troubling. But from the second start after coming back from the DL, forward to Tuesday's Game 1 start. So since September 16th, that's the date where we can fix this. Chris Sale has averaged 92.9 miles an hour on his fastball. And his starts this year prior to September 16th, including the first one he made coming off the DL, his average fastball velocity was 96.1 miles an hour, more than three miles an hour greater than what he's done since the middle of September. So you know, I tend to think an offseason will probably cure that for Chris Sale, but you know, something to track as well. All right, well, let's get to uh, Rafael Devers. Uh, as I mentioned before, I wanted to talk about clutchness with him because uh, he's joined uh, a really uh, interesting group. And again, you know, just tur- turning 22 today, as I speak, Wednesday, turning 22 years old, Rafael Devers. So one of the younger players to, to start a World Series game. Uh, and and even so, he's really distinguished himself. He has tied a major league record along with Luke Gehrig, Ryan Howard, and Alex Rodriguez, so pretty good company there. He has tied those three players for most uh, consecutive postseason starts in which he has driven in at least one run. He has now done that in eight straight postseason starts, uh, at least one RBI in each of those games uh, for Rafael Devers. Now, uh, in the postseason uh, overall this year, he's 8-for-22 with a homer. That's a 364 average. That's also the same average he has if you throw in last year's postseason performance in his uh, rookie season. Uh, Devers, uh, let's see. I'm sorry. Uh, so combined, 2017 and 2018, he is 12-for-33. So that's still 364. Had a couple of homers in 2017. So uh, three homers total in the postseason. So, yeah. By that standard, you would say, yeah, Rafael Devers seems like he's clutch. <laughs> he, he takes it up a notch or, or two or five uh, once he gets to the, the postseason. Yes, I know we're talking about super small samples. But I did a Twitter poll just to see because if you go and you go on Twitter and you do a search, Rafael Devers clutch, you'll get a whole bunch of tweets of people saying, Rafael Devers is clutch. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to see what uh, my Twitter followers thought of this. So. I put a Rafael Devers poll on his 22nd birthday. Is Devers clutch? And the top, well, let me, before I tell you the top, the, the choices were yes or no, or there's no way to know, or there's no such thing. So some pretty interesting results. So yes, got the most votes. 34% said yes, Rafael Devers is clutch. More than one out of three uh, of everyone who responded to the poll said and thinks Rafael Devers is clutch. 13% said no. So a little less than three to one, yes versus no, that people think Devers is clutch. But you add them together, 47% just have an opinion (laughs) about whether or not Devers is clutch. So a slight minority of the poll respondents think that you can even know whether or not somebody's clutch or think that there is such a thing as clutchness. So the other 53% split between those other two responses that either you can't know if a player's clutch or there's just no such thing. As it turns out, it was 33% of the total vote said there's no way to know. So basically saying, yes, there is such a thing as clutch hitting, but we can't really measure it. One out of three. And then the remaining 20% 
said there's no such thing as clutch hitting. So I just thought that these were interesting responses and all over the map. And you know what? I'm glad they're all over the map because I think you can you can make an argument uh, all ways uh, in this. Devers has not been clutch. If you believe in clutchness, Devers has not been clutch uh, in the regular season. And it's really, and I don't think we have enough definitively, definitively to say that he's clutch in the uh, in the uh, uh, postseason. But Fangraphs has a clutch rating, and basically, it's looking at how players perform in high leverage situations versus all situations. Uh, and that's a, a, a very very sketchy uh, definition. But I would you know suggest if you want to explore it that there's a good. There's a good explainer on uh, Fangraphs about it. But this year, he had a negative 0.41 clutch rating. And, I mean, anything positive is good. Anything you know, pretty much over one uh, would be a sign of clutchness. So negative 0.41 clutch rating this year. That was the lowest for all of the Red Sox hitters that had at least 300 plate appearances this year. He also hit just 211 this year with runners in scoring position. So by either measure, Devers was not clutch this year. However, last year, he had a positive .42 clutch rating uh, and a and was batted .296 with runners in scoring position. But the research has shown that clutchness, if again, if it exists within a time period, that it, it, it's not predictive of what happens in future time periods. So... It's not too surprising in light of that, that Devers was maybe slightly clutch last year and slightly unclutch this year in the in the respective regular seasons. Uh, so, you know, you could make the argument, well, you can't really tell because these things don't correlate year to year, you know, or you can just say, well, you know, it, it's, it's all just sort of noise and, you know, maybe there's just not such a thing as, as clutch hitting at all. But, I would say if you're going to try to make an argument that there is clutchness, even though the general trend is that year to year, that someone's clutch rating is not going to be a good predictor of what it's going to be the next year, that there are a handful of players that do have very consistent patterns. And I think you could make a very strong argument that there is clutchness, at least for a few players. And the most clutch player in this decade of the 2010s is I'll give you a second just to think. Come up with a name. See if you can think of somebody. All right. Time's up. Most clutch player in this decade has been Daniel Descalso. He has a combined clutch rating of 7.26 since 2010. He's had a positive rating every year since 2011 and a, a rating uh, above 0. .40 in every year since 2014. And actually, last year, there was a, a neat piece on him on Beyond the Box Score by uh, Audrey Stark. Could uh, Google that and check that out, but now a year and a half later, he just continues, has continued to be clutch, Daniel Descalso. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, I thought this one was interesting, especially having watched him for many years in South Florida as a Marlin. John Carlos Stanton, largest negative clutch rating for the 2010s, negative 9.18. He's been negative every year of his career. And in all but two of the seasons, he's been pretty highly negative, uh, a negative 0.65 or lower in seven of his nine seasons, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, I love this too. The highest uh, clutch rating in the 2010s among starting pitchers, 
is Big Game James Shields. So living up to the name. And the lowest has been Rick Porcello. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So anyways, again, I know not, not fancy related, but just had to dig into it given all the commentary I've seen about the clutchness of Rafael Devers and, and wanted to put that in some context. Uh, but uh, something that is more fantasy related, Devers is, is one of a number of players who I've noticed did not have apparently a big skill change this year, but had a big change, either positive or negative, in terms of their fantasy production. So I just want to break this down a little bit. So Devers' numbers this season, he had 490 plate appearances. He batted 240 with 21 homers, 66 RBIs, 59 runs, and 5 steals. Um, last season, he only got 240 play appearances. It was his first year as a major leaguer. And so just slightly less than exactly half the amount of playing time last year, or playing played appearances to be a little bit more accurate. So 21 homers this year, 10 homers last year. So pretty much similar pace. 66 RBIs last year, or this year, 30 RBIs last year. Similar pace. 59 runs scored this year, 34 runs scored last year, higher pace last year. So that's where you really see it show up. Three steals last year, five this year. So what we really see is that Devers, by counting stats this year, if you prorate last year, pretty much the same player except not scoring as many runs. But the big difference is batting average. He hit 284 last year, 240 this year. And that certainly played into the run scoring differential. But here's where I think it's very interesting. Strikeout rate last year, 23.8%. Strikeout rate this year, 24.7. Just slightly higher, not even a full percentage point. Walk rate last year, 7.5%. Walk rate this year for Devers, 7.8%. Almost identical. Isolated power last year, 198. Isolated power this year, 193. So for those three skill indicators, strikeout rate, walk rate, isolated power, same player this year as last year. The one indicator that I could find in terms of, of skill that where there seemed to be a clear difference, last year, the average fly ball that Devers hit went 337 feet. And this is uh, from Baseball Savant. This year, just 322 feet, so a drop of 15 feet on average. So that would go some of the way, at least, towards explaining why he hit 44 points lower. Doesn't explain why he was on a similar home run pace, though, or he had a nearly identical isolated power. Maybe a little bit lucky with some home runs and doubles. I don't know. But again, just 22 years old, so you can build in some improvement for next year as he's still in the growth phase of his career. But uh, yeah, it, it, you know, clearly not as much power this year. And you know, to me, the question would be, you know, how much can we assume he's going to recoup the power he showed his first season where he had less playing time and maybe pitchers hadn't adjusted to him as much. So we'll see, you know, how many adjustments or what types of adjustments I should say uh, Devers makes going into next year. And then, that made me think of another player who was somewhat notable in game one. And that's Brian Dozier. Uh, and I say somewhat notable because Dozier led off for the Dodgers. 
And that was uh, something that was questioned by some people on social media. And understandably, uh, Dozier, a, a pretty off-season for him, finished the year in a funk, uh, ended up with a 305 on on-base percentage. So maybe a questionable choice to be the leadoff hitter in Game 1 of, of, of the World Series. But again, sort of a similar pattern with Devers, where if you break it down, there's an awful lot about a disappointing 2018 that looked like a not disappointing 2017. So Dozier this year, a 215 batting average, as I mentioned, 305 on base percentage, 391 slugging. But again, remember that slugging is being dragged down somewhat by the low batting averages is the baseline. Last year, a 271 batting average, a 359 on base percentage, a 498 slugging. So for, for those results, I mean, last year was clearly superior. But you're going to see the similarities now with Devers. Last year, Dozier struck out exactly 20% of the time. This year, Dozier struck out 20.4% of the time, nearly identical. Both last year and this year, Dozier had an 11.1% walk rate, identical matching walk rates. His ISO this year was lower, 175 this year. Last year it was 227. His BABIP was also lower, 240 this year, excuse me, 300 last year. We'll get back to the power part of this equation in a second. But the BABIP part, uh, probably I should have been skeptical of the 300 BABIP that Dozier had in 2017. He's always been a pretty extreme pole hitter, not a good candidate to be a normal 300 BABIP guy like he was in 2017. So, you know, maybe some of what we saw from Brian Dozier this year was some regression. I, I haven't thought of Brian Dozier as a 215 hitter, but I have thought of him for, for much of his career as like a 230, 240 hitter. And the, the previous two seasons, he had 271, 268. So maybe a little bit of BABIP overachievement there in his last last couple of years, uh, previous couple of years, last two full seasons with Minnesota. So this year, a 240 uh, BABIP that maybe uh, it was regression that was that was due, but maybe even a little overcompensation because that seems a bit low for Dozier. And batting average is always something I feel like we should take with a, a grain. I'm much more convinced by changes in strikeout rate than I am in, in batting average. Or maybe embedded ball profile, which is something that can that can affect Babbitt. But Dozier's pretty much been the same hitter. Uh, now, the one thing that I will say that is different or was different for Dozier this year, we'll go to that average fly ball distance stat that showed us that Rafael Devers, in fact, wasn't really the same hitter this year that he was last year. We could say the same thing about Brian Dozier to a little bit of a lesser uh, extent. He averaged 334 feet on fly balls last year, almost the same as what Devers did last year, by the way. This year, uh, that fell to 324. And he did play through uh, a knee injury uh, that he, uh, by his own account, uh, as he, he explained to the uh, Orange County Register in a piece, I think it was back in September, uh, it messed up his swing, and it, he never really got right with his swing. So I think there was a real change in Dozier and probably a an injury-related change. But uh, a, a lot didn't change, even with the injury, even with the struggles. Uh, he was no worse as a strikeout hitter. He was just as good and, and very good as somebody who was patient and drew walks. So maybe a, a little unlucky with the BABIP, 
maybe a little less power than before. But boy, I think he could be uh, a nice bargain next year uh, because apparently the he's fine health wise. He's just gotta gotta get his uh, swing back to where uh, where it was when uh, he was getting better results. But uh, I do think that there's potential there for uh, for for us to overlook Brian Dozier. Uh, going into uh, going into next season. So again, just a little something to tuck away for you know like five months from now when uh, you're actually drafting. So uh, anyway, uh, be a lot lot more things to talk about in regards to the World Series. Uh, but that's going to be all for me on uh, this show. So uh, I will be back uh, with a new podcast next week, next Wednesday. It will drop. And uh, meantime, enjoy the World Series. I know I'm gonna, and uh, we'll dig into a lot more stuff next week uh, as look we look ahead to next year. So have a great one, everybody. Enjoy baseball and take care. <laughs>